Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Melting Pot, hosted by J.D. Kuchta. Tune in weekly, every Friday, to hear various sports topics with various guests. You can find weekly episodes wherever you find your podcast, as well as on his website with blog posts going more in-depth with each topic. Take it away, J.D. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to week nine of The Melting Pot. College football back on this topic slate once again. Joining me today, head professor of the Capstone Department, legend here at Piedmont University in the Communications Department, Dr. Dale Van Cantfort. If you don't mind, DVC, could you give us a little bit about yourself? A little bit about myself? I'm a huge college football fan going back to the 1960s. Probably the first game I remember was between Notre Dame and Michigan State. It was played to a tie. Back then, no no overtimes. Played to a tie. And it was the game that was supposedly supposed to decide who was the national champion. And the coach for Michigan State was just run through the press because when his team got the ball back with less than two minutes in the game and deep in his own territory, he just knelt down. He didn't want this team to possibly lose. He didn't play for the win. He played for the tie. And that was discussed for years and years and years and still is brought up every now and then when somebody makes a decision a lot of people think was too conservative. They go back to that ball game. Sounds like you've got some some interesting games <laughs> that you have seen throughout your lifetime. But we're going to kick it off here with the first topic of discussion. Uh, Georgia football without Brock Bowers. You saw Brock Bowers go down against Vandy with a high ankle sprain, already got surgery. What steps do you believe that Georgia needs to take in order to keep this playoff caliber, this possible three-peat this season going? Well, first off, it's horrible that he was injured. One of the top three college players in the game right now, in my opinion. Uh, Hopefully he'll be back before the end of the season. But if anything could be a blessing in disguise, it was two things, actually. One, that it happened right before a bye week. So it's given the team a little bit of a chance to adjust and to look forward as to how they're going to be offensively without Brock Bowers. Secondly, George is loaded with playmakers. Bowers is an established playmaker. This is going to allow Georgia a chance to show how these other players, these four and five stars that have been kind of on the back burner, can allow them to show their abilities. And I believe, of course I'm a little biased because I am a Georgia fan, but I believe a number of them are going to step forward and it's only going to make the offense that much stronger because the defense can't concentrate on just one individual. Mm-hmm. I mean, I – I agree with your, what you're saying. I mean, we saw Rara Thomas come out recently, one of the Georgia's new transfer portal receivers, um, came out and said, it, we have a next-up mentality, and we have Oscar Delp right behind Brock Bowers. I say we because, just like you, I am a Georgia fan. And they have that next-up mentality, and I think Delp has been someone who's been really underappreciated and because he's – being outshone and outshined by Brock Bowers, one of the best college football players in the country. And this just gives Delp an opportunity, gives Rara Thomas, Lad McConkey, all of those receivers, and expect to see them run the ball a little bit more than they have this season so far. 
I think that's very true. Lawson Lucky. Lawson Lucky. Remember that name. He got injured, a very similar injury to Brock's injury at the very beginning of the season. So we haven't really been able to see him play. He just came back a week or two ago. Mm -hmm. But everybody was telling me in spring ball and over the summer, this kid was really coming on as a tight end. So we may very well see both Oscar and Lawson really bloom over these next few weeks. That's my hope anyway. I believe that both of them really will um, bloom and it will give us a little bit of a look to what to expect next season and the upcoming seasons after, especially with Delt being only a sophomore. Lucky is what, a freshman? Freshman. Uh, and then the defense is also very young. Um, and then a couple of the receivers are young. Lad McConkey is a little older. Ra Ra is around his junior year, but everyone else is still very, very young when it comes to this Georgia team. Um, it, it also comes down to Carson Beck as well. If he can make the right reads on the field, um, and then if Bobo's play calling. You're correct on Carson from this standpoint. Brock has been his safety valve for this first half of this season. That Really, when he needed a play, that's who he went and looked for. Now he doesn't have that. I'm coming up line of scrimmage. Where is he lined up? Where am I going to see him on the field? He's my first look. Even if he wasn't the first option, he's the first place I'm going to look. He doesn't have that comfort level anymore. Now somebody else has to step up, and he has to go through his reads quickly and make a good decision. So it is going to put a little bit more pressure on the quarterback to make the right reads and right decisions. Uh, for Beck, I will say, when he played Kentucky, he took three steps forward. Played Vandy, took two steps back. He regressed a little bit, but I think this upcoming week and schedule with Bowers being gone, he's going to really come out of his shell, and we're going to see this Beck that Kirby Smart has really been looking for. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back after that with some talk about the Michigan scandal that is going on. Looking for a new podcast to listen to? Well, check out Basketball and BS with Jarrett Ray and Chris Donsborough. This show is giving you everything NBA on and off the court. So, if you're a basketball fan, go check out Basketball and BS with Jarrett Ray and Chris Donsborough. Find Basketball and BS on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Melting Pot. Second topic of discussion for today, the Michigan sign-stealing scandal. So, I don't know too much of how it originally, how they got tipped off on it. Do you know at all, DVC? There have been reports that a disgruntled fan or a disgruntled employee tipped them off on it, but that really doesn't matter. Signal stealing has gone on in sports since signals started. You've seen teams on the sidelines in football go to elaborate means. You'll look on the sideline, and there's three different people going through all those different signals, and which one is the true one, which one is the fake. You'll see them holding up towels and big boards with different pictures on them, elaborate ways to try to keep teams from stealing signs. So attempting to steal signs has almost become accepted. What isn't acceptable as certain ways of doing that. There are rules and regulations the NCAA has enacted. Whether you agree with them, whether I agree with them, 
really doesn't matter. They are the rules, and everybody's supposed to play by those rules. And what is being brought forward right now is accusations that Michigan did not play by the rules, that one of their assistant coaches or assistant trainers or somebody in the lower level of the hierarchy purposely violated the rules and sign stealing to the benefit of Michigan and to the detriment of their opponents. And right now the head coach is saying, I know nothing about it. I didn't condone it. No way would I want to do that. That's been the statements I've heard out of him. Others are saying there's no way he could not have known about it. And uh, the way he w- apparently he was doing it is there have been multiple occasions of Venmo transactions that have been seen. There's been multiple ticket purchases, like two seats right next to each other. So it makes me believe it was this guy and one other guy who were there recording all these Big Ten games and – from there, he, he apparently he was like some in the Navy or something like that. It was decoded the recorded footage of the signs, then gave it to Michigan. How true all of this stuff is, I don't know. It just came out at such an interesting time when Michigan really started to get their act together and became a really solid program. That is true, and of course very beginning of the season, a self-imposed ban, had the head coach not on the sidelines for the first several games, and now this on top of it, it's just not good news off the field for Michigan. On the field, they're probably one of the top three or four teams in the country, and they're going to get a chance to prove that as the season goes along, but this will be hanging over them quite possibly for the rest of the season. Uh, so, yeah, it was, like you said, someone who was lower on the totem pole, looking at it right now, it was uh, staffer Colin Stallions, who allegedly allegedly bought tickets for more than 30 games, most of them Big 12, and used illegal technology, so just recording it. Um, apparently, he's already been suspended without pay, pending the outcome of uh, this investigation. And again, historically, teams in the Big 10 been required to share video. By that I mean, here's the game, the game, not the sidelines, but here's the game. You you give me your copy of your most recent game. I give you a copy of my most recent game so the two can analyze plays and things of that nature. What is being alleged is he wasn't filming the game. He was filming what was going on on the sidelines and in the press box in order to try to steal signs, relaying of plays and things of that nature. And that in and of itself, as described by the rules and regs of the NCAA, is illegal. One thing that – the illegal part of this whole thing that's going on is the actual recording and then disseminating and and, uh, deciphering the signs. It's it's a whole different aspect when you go to a game, you bring a notepad – and then you just write down some notes. That's a whole entirely different aspect. That's completely legal when it comes to scouting. The video part, you can't do that. No. And it's just a dead giveaway, makes you look fishy, and it just brings on a bunch of other things. I, I believe that the Big Ten has just been sketchy in the past couple of years. We saw earlier in the season with Michigan, they're coming up in the news again. Then we saw Michigan State. Uh, and then you have just everything else that's gone on in the Big Ten. I don't know what's going on with that conference. 
going all the way back to Penn State and its its problems uh, with coaches and what happened uh, off the field. Yes, uh, Big Ten has not been a situation where it's been good news for them for a long time. It's just been a sketchy, sketchy situation. All right, we're going to jump. We're going to kick it to ourselves and jump to the third uh, topic of discussion, the Heisman Watch. It's that time of the year when Heisman talks are starting to pick up, so figured this would be a great topic for discussion. Currently, who is leading the Heisman voting is, once again, Michigan QB, J.J. McCarthy, with the highest odds right now of plus 245 to win the Heisman Trophy. Don't pay any attention to that. What happens between now and Thanksgiving will determine who wins the Heisman. Those key games coming up. If, if Michigan lays another egg against Ohio State in that big game, he's probably out of the picture. It's really what happens over these next four or five weeks will determine the, the so-called defending Heisman winner. His team has not played up to their expectations. He hasn't played up to his expectations. I doubt seriously we'll see a repeat there. Otherwise, to me, it's it's wide open. If somebody comes up and has three or four really good games back-to-back-to-back, they're going to win the, this Heisman. Uh, and could it be Carson Beck? I don't think so, but if he has if he has an outstanding game, we've got four SEC games in a row, all against ranked or near-ranked teams. If he has a great four games, he's going to get a lot of votes. I, I agree with you on that one. I mean, the, for me, the one to really watch out for is – Michael Penix Jr. at Washington used to play at Indiana. It was either Indiana or Illinois, one of those two. I know it began with an I. I can't remember which one it was off the top of my head. But I know he played there originally, had injury trouble, transferred out, went to Washington, and he has been the talk of the Pac-12. And he deserves it. Kid's a baller. And he's put Washington on the map and – I wouldn't be surprised that you see Washington stay up there and wiggle their way into the top four. They've been impressive what I've seen of them so far, at least offensively. Here on the East Coast, we don't get to see a whole lot of them because they're playing late at night. But they do have a couple of big games still coming up. They had the big game with Oregon. Some say they were lucky to win, but they got some big games coming up. So he can play his way into that picture. And that's what I'm saying is whoever has – that big game or two over the next four or five weeks, that's who's going to win it because there is no there is no front runner that's way out in front of everybody else. It's really what happens over these next four weeks. I mean, uh, most of the Heisman voting right now are top Heisman candidates that are speculative. Um, are nine out of the ten so far out of the top ten, according to odds, are QBs. And the one mixed in is Marvin Harrison Jr. from Ohio State. Don't get me wrong. He should be there. Fantastic overall athlete. Fantastic wide receiver. Gave Georgia trouble last year in the semifinal game. And I will say, if he didn't get hurt, Georgia Georgia does not win that game. They don't win that game if he stays healthy. Yeah. And And he's a good candidate for it. But traditionally in the modern time, not in my time, but in your time anyway, it's quarterbacks. It's quarterbacks uh, that get it, and quarterbacks that lead their teams to, to to big victories. That being said, it's too bad that Bowers got hurt. 
I would love to see in this last month of November both Bowers and Harrison have just huge games and get a lot of mentions at least for the Heisman and maybe even get invited to the finalists because it would introduce something besides quarterbacks into the into the mix. Now that Brock's hurt, he's he's out of the picture, and Harrison's going to have to have some really super games, particularly that Michigan-Ohio State game. He's going to have to just, you know, two or three touchdowns, 100-plus yards through the air. He's going to have to do something of that nature uh, to have consideration. If he balls out against uh, Michigan, I think he actually has a legitimate chance in, to be one of the finalists. I know before Brock Bowers got hurt, he was top five and for consideration. Um, but, you know, as you mentioned, as he got hurt, that just – wish washed away so we are going to jump to a break real quick we'll come back with the final topic of conversation for this episode for week nine of the melting pot when we come back dvc and i will give our top four picks for who we think are going to finish in the top four leading into the college football playoff Looking for a radio show? Well, I know a really good one, and it's... Tune in to Wake Up with J-Ray and A-B every Friday morning at 9 sharp for the latest world news, celebrity gossip, and the hottest hip-hop and R&B hits you could ever ask for. So be sure to check out Wake Up every Friday morning, only on WPCZ, LP, FM, Demers. Z98.7 FM, the student-run radio station at Piedmont University. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to The Melting Pot. It's time for our top five picks, or top four picks, excuse me, for the week, or for the college football playoff. DVC, I'll let you kick us off. A lot, a lot of football between now and when they pick those top four. But right now, looking at my very hazy crystal ball, since they are undefeated and they have won back-to-back national championships, going for a three-peat, something that's never been done in modern football, you have to say Georgia is in that top four until somebody beats. You're the champ until somebody beats you, and nobody on the past 30 games has beaten Georgia. So you got to be in that top four. Are they number one? You can argue that, but they're going to be one of the four until somebody beats them. So I've got Georgia in there. Yeah, I'm biased. I'm a Georgia fan, but based on what I've said, they have to have one of those four positions. Then the winner of the Michigan-Ohio State game, they have to be in that top four, whichever team that is. And right now, I'm not sure. I've watched them both play some. They both look good at times. They've also looked not so good. And Michigan hasn't really played anybody really strong, so I don't know. But the winner of that game will have one of those four slots. Your earlier comments about the quarterback at Washington, he is going to lead them for the first time in a long time, a Pac-12 team, for the last year of the Pac-12. They're going to have a team in the college football playoffs. Those are my three that will be there for sure. Now the question is, who is going to be number four? I don't have a good answer for that. It depends on some scenarios. Some will say, well, maybe it's Florida State. Uh, Some even say, well, it might be 
Alabama. I can see different scenarios there. What if Georgia goes undefeated, goes through the regular season undefeated, plays Alabama in the SEC championship game, it goes to overtime, and Alabama wins? Do both teams go? Does just Alabama go? What do you do? I'd say if that's the scenario, you got to send both because that's Georgia's first loss in 30-something games, and Alabama is the conference winner of the hardest conference in college football. So I, I say at that point you'd maybe if send Washington at three, winner of Michigan-Ohio State at one or two, and then Georgia either at two or four, and then Bama somewhere there in the mix. There's still a lot of a, a lot a of, lot of a, ifs. A, a, a lot of ifs. A lot of football still out there. That's for sure. I think for me, my top four for the end of the college football season, and once it's all said and done, rankings come out. Going into the college, fo- the semifinal and playoff, I've got Georgia at one. I think they handle Florida. Um, they handle the rest of their SEC schedule. And then I think Ohio State will beat Michigan this year. They haven't done it in the past three years. I think Ohio State looks like a better team on paper than Michigan. Ohio State's – or Florida State – Yeah, no, I was right. Ohio State beat Penn State, and Penn State has a fantastic defense and a really good offense. They looked – They looked pitiful in <laughs> offense. They, don't, they looked bad that game, yeah. but Penn State's not a bad team. No. Oh. And then at four, this is going to shock you. Um, I'm going to – or at three and four, I've got Florida State and Washington coming in and sneaking their way in. I think Florida State um, handedly going to win the ACC. I don't see any ACC team being a contender in that. You could argue UNC, but they just lost to UVA and gave UVA their first win of the season – I don't see that happening. And then Washington, I don't think they will fall for the cannibalization that has been the Pac-12 in years past. I think Washington, with Michael Penix at the helm on offense, handles the Pac-12, wins out the Pac-12 championship, and makes their way in at the fourth spot. Let me throw you one more curveball. What happens? What happens if Georgia wins out undefeated, Mm -hmm. the winner of the Ohio State-Michigan game, is undefeated, mm-hmm. undefeated Big Ten champ. Florida State, undefeated ACC champ. Washington, undefeated Pac-12 champ. And Oklahoma goes undefeated as the Big 12 champ. Who do you eliminate? I'd get rid of Washington and put in Oklahoma because of that win over Texas. That win over Texas for Oklahoma right now is holding a lot of weight, especially since Texas has been staying relevant in the top 10, even after they dropped all the way down from three to nine, still staying relevant in that top 10. Even Texas has a chance to potential to sneak their way in. But hey, Washington beat a top 10 rated Oregon team. How do you how do you take an undefeated team? They've done everything you've asked them to do. They've won all their ball games. How do you tell them you don't get to play for the national title? I don't know. It, That's why we're going to a. This expanded. is why we're going to twelve. 
I, I, you know what? In the in the twelve team playoff format, I was listening to a uh, podcast earlier on. Um, they were talking about the twelve team format and how it's actually good for teams like Texas, Oregon, Penn State because it gives them a shot. Yep, it does that. And even like Oregon State, even you, and it allows you to have one loss, two loss, you're still pushing it. One loss, though, you can get in. But, yeah, if it comes down to Alabama and Georgia and the SEC championship game if you're a year from now, that game really doesn't matter because both teams are what? They're Top. both, they're both going to go. Yeah. They're both going to go. Uh, it, it does take some of the importance out of that game, uh, the do-or-die situation, uh, but should both teams be in the playoffs? Yeah, they should. Now, I want to know your thoughts on this. You know, you've been a Georgia fan all your life. Watched SEC ball. How do you feel about them getting rid of the East and the West next year? Well, they almost had to because we've gotten so big. I kind of liked having the East and the West type situation, but since you're not, there's no potential for a balanced schedule, no way to do that, I think you have to go and say whoever the top two teams are record-wise, I would like to see them go, though, to nine games. If they would play nine games in the conference, then I feel no East-West top two teams record-wise play for the championship. I feel better than just eight because with eight, it's quite possible for you to miss three of the top four teams in your schedule and make your record look a lot better than some other teams. Well, DVC, that is going to do it all for week nine of the Melting Pot it was a blast having you on. I've been wanting to get you on for the past couple of weeks. College football is almost at a close, sadly. It's my favorite time of the year. But make sure you stay tuned for week 10 of The Melting Pot. We have college basketball preseason. Joining me on that episode is Connor Rogers, huge UVA fan. We saw them win the tournament a couple years ago. Maybe they do it again this year. Maybe there's another team in the mix. Make sure you tune in to episode 10 to find out all about that. You've been listening to The Melting Pot, where you can find various guests and sports topics on a weekly basis. Remember, you can find each episode wherever you get your podcast and on JD's website with blog posts corresponding to each episode. See you next Friday.